you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9 as we can finish out our Christmas series. Anything about Christmas ended last week? No, Christmas is ongoing because we continually celebrate the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus all year long. The birth and the death, the birth and the death. Because without those two events, we'd be sunk. The birth of Christ is where God came in the flesh to live among us. The word made flesh, the John uh, 1.14 says, He came to live among us so that we might know that we can't get to God of our own devices. There's nothing, we can't be good enough to please God. We can't do enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't be nice enough. We can't give enough apples to teachers to get to heaven. He died, he lived for 33 years, a perfect, perfect life, fulfilling every prophecy of the Messiah, 300 plus prophecies of the Messiah from throughout the Old Testament. Lived a perfect life according to the, the Hebrew law and was crucified and died for you and I, taking upon himself our sins, those things that we did wrong, those things that we are ashamed of, that we feel guilty of, all those things that were going against the law of God. He took upon himself. And he said, I forgive you. Now it's up to us as human beings, as, as followers of Jesus, to share that love with all those around us, to say, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how good a person you are. You must submit. You must believe. You must put your hope and trust in what Jesus did for you. Period. No other thing is available. We've been looking at... Isaiah chapter 9, today we're in the same passage again, and kind of expanding on those and looking at Everlasting Father, and today we're going to look at Prince of Peace. Peace is a funny thing. When you think of peace, we have a lot of different ideas. Everybody's got their own particular impression of what peace is. So for some people, peace is quiet in the house. Now, my son-in-law is getting ready to experience no peace in his house as soon as my granddaughter is born. They'll be crying, they'll be changing diapers, they'll be 18 to 20 years of just a lack of that kind of peace, right? Sometimes peace is having a lot of extra bank account at the end of the month, a lot of extra money in the bank account instead of a month at the end of your paycheck. Sometimes peace is having good health in our minds. That's If I can just have good health and I'm all good and ready to go and I don't have to worry about going to a doctor, I can be at peace. If I know my kids are provided for, I know my, my parents are provided for, I know that I've got a good job that provides an income for me. Those are things that we think of in this world as peace, that brings peace into our lives, that removes some of the stress out of our brains, right? A lot of different cultures have, the Peru, some of the Peruvian people, peace means the well-arranged soul. The well-arranged soul. That is what true peace is to them. For the, some of the Groups in Mexico, it means to means completeness, being in perfect completeness and having everything together without anything lacking. Uh, some folks in Liberia, the, the word peace means my heart sits down and just, oh, your heart's just sitting and in, embracing what's going on. For some of the folks in the Ivory Coast there in Africa, peace is a song in my body. You're just up and going and you're just able to Go, get up and go because you have a peace. Everything on around you is, is, is in perfect peace. And yet those things, they're great pictures, 
And for some of us, this year has been a year where we've needed peace in our lives for many different reasons. Sometimes it's moving uh, to a new state. Sometimes it's in trying to get a new job up and going. Sometimes finding a new church. Some of you found our church this year and being in that struggle, going from church to church to church. And hopefully this is where God has led you to land yourselves and say, this is where we want to plant our feet and minister and be part of the body of Christ like, as we move forward. There's a lot of things that can cause us a lack of peace. Sometimes for college students, their grades or lack of grades. Worrying about the future, am I going to be able to get a good job? We have one of our college students who's already graduated uh, early. He graduated a couple weeks ago, and so now he's getting considering, do I go to graduate school? Do I go straight into the workforce? Adulting 101 is now setting in, right? Oh, well, i got to maybe start paying rent. I can no longer be that millennial living in the basement of my parents' house. How can I get on as an adult? Those things bring a lack of peace. We've been looking at the promises of God here in this passage and God's promise to us to bring peace into our lives. His promise was his biggest Christmas present, the baby, baby Jesus. We, we look at this baby in the manger on the, on the nativity scene that we put up and like, oh, isn't that cute? But view it more as that was God's present been saying there's a messiah coming there's a messiah coming there's a messiah coming i'm going to send him the savior and 700 years before he was born he told isaiah i I want you to write down who this baby is going to be what this messiah is going to be like so that my people can anticipate and look forward to his coming this is what he's going to be like this is who he's going to be this is kind of character he's going to have so they could long and look for the coming of the messiah and yes, I'm sure there, some of their minds are like, man, God's been promising this Messiah for thousands of years. Is he ever going to come? Kind of like kids on Christmas Eve. Is Christmas morning ever going to come? Am I ever going to be able to get up and get my presents? Am I ever going to get be able to get up? And parents are always like, am I ever going to be able to sleep in on Christmas morning? This year I had to go and wake up my own kids. I'm like, what's up with this? We had to get up and get them up. But turn to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read through this passage again this morning. Starting in verse 4. And take a look at the promises of God here. The promises of God that he has given to us in this passage. At the very end of verse 4, it starts with this way. It says, You have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fire, fuel for the fire. He's talking about the peace that's going to come in the future. He says, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he, his, name, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of, and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's some great promises in there. At the end, there's not going to be a need for warriors. not going to be a need for fighting. No more fear for blood and getting on people's clothes. No more of this. There's going to be peace. No more strife. Because God's going to send his Messiah, that wonderful counselor, 
who is above and beyond. If you remember all four of the, the three words, the three names of Jesus we looked at prior to this, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, all three of those set him up as the pinnacle of that. The Wonderful Counselor, he wasn't just this person who gave advice. He was the counselor, the smartest one in the room. He was the one that every king went to to get the advice because he had all the answers. And he is that for us. He's the mighty, mighty God, able to handle all of our problems, able to take care of all of our issues, and, and we turn to to fight on our behalf. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Father of the everlasting. He came into our, this world to say, I'm going to embrace you as a father. I'm going to embrace you as a father would, to gather you up and to love on you and to give you the care that you need. And today, as we look at the name Prince of Peace, He's still that pinnacle of that level. Lots of names that have been given to the Messiah throughout the book of Isaiah. God gave a lot of names there, and they, they all kind of bring to mind different character qualities of the Messiah. Isaiah 7.14, he calls him Emmanuel, where he says, The virgin will be a child, will give birth to a son, and, he, and we'll call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God came to live among us, to be with us, to come and live within us. When you become a believer in Christ, when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he doesn't just stand to the side. He doesn't just stay behind you saying, hey, go ahead. He literally comes in and dwells you, the Bible says. Comes and becomes a part of you and goes with you throughout your day to give you that advice the wonderful counselor gives, to go and fight the battles on your behalf, to embrace you as a father. He's also called the root of Jesse. Isaiah 11 calls him this. The root of Jesse, he's going to come from the line of Jesse. And if you remember your studies in the Old Testament, the father of David, King David, was Jesse. So he's going to come out of that line, become the root of Jesse. Out of that is one of the prophecies. Isaiah 4.2 says, The Messiah will be called the branch of the Lord, because out of him is going to come much fruit, in other words, he didn't just come and dwell us and become a part of us to let us just, just exist. We don't live in this world just to exist, from a, to work a 9 to 5 job, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and just exist. He came that we might bring fruit into the world, to go beyond us, to share the truth of the gospel, share the truth of who God is with those around us, and bring that fruit to God the branch of the Lord. Isaiah 32, he calls him the king. Isaiah 40, he's called the sovereign Lord. And Isaiah 40, verse 11, he's called the shepherd. And Isaiah 40, 41, verse 14, he's called your redeemer. For Isaiah 42, verse 1, he's called my servant. 53, verse 3, he's called the man of sorrows, one who's very familiar with suffering. Isaiah 60, verse 16, he's called your savior. And of course, we've been looking at chapter 9, verse 6, the past few weeks. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what does that mean, Prince of Peace? The Hebrew word for that is Sar Shalom. Literally, the word Sar is the word for Prince. And he's letting us know that Jesus is the Sar Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. He, what, what is, 
when we think of prince, in our culture, in our society, we think of prince as kind of like you got the king and you got the prince and multiple princesses and princesses over here. And they kind of fill the role and they have a, a job within the castle, within, within the administration there. I think of kind of like secretaries, um, like Secretary of State or one of the secretaries in, in, the, in the administration in Washington. They kind of, they have a role, but they don't really have a lot of power compared to the king. But in the Hebrew mindset, the prince was, and the way this is used, it was the chief, chief dog. To Caesar, Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar. The Russians also used that root word for their, prior to the Bolshevik Revolution, had czars. The same word, same root word. He was the top, the king, the one in charge. That's Jesus. He is the Tsar. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And literally, when they, when they view it that way, it's like well-being, happiness, peace. So literally, then Jesus is the governor of well-being, the captain of happiness, the ruler of peace. He is the Tsar Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one, the bringer, the one who brings peace into our lives. The one who brings that ultimate peace that we and the world are truly seeking. The fighting, the wars, all the, the things, the selfishness that goes on around the world today is because we don't find peace within our own lives and we're seeking it elsewhere. Jesus came to bring that peace into our lives, to bring that peace into our community, to bring that peace into our families. He holds out his hand to say, let me be your peace. Remember on the night of Jesus' birth, the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angels came and said, We're come to bring you peace. I know you're afraid this bright light appeared before you, you're shepherds, and you're kind of uneducated, you're going to get worried about what's going on. But we came to tell you that God is to be glorified and we came, there's one who'd been born in Bethlehem who came to be and bring your peace. Don't be afraid. The peace that you seek is there. In fact, let me read this to you. Luke chapter 2. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, literally. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swathing clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then the shepherds went and they told Mary all these things. They went and they found the baby in the manger. They went and found Joseph and Mary and the baby and they said, let me tell you what we just heard. Let me tell you what we just experienced. An angel appeared. And then a whole bunch of angels appeared. And they said, this baby is going to bring peace. This baby that's lying here in this manger. 
and the stable is going to be bring peace. Imagine Mary's response. That later on in, in Scripture says that she treasured up all these things that people said, that the shepherds said, that the wise men said as they went to the temple, that Annas and Simeon told them. How does somebody treasuring up all these things in their mind look? Or maybe there was a wonder in her mind. Maybe a look and a longing to understand and to embrace the stuff that was coming in and to remember it and stick it back in her long-term memory so that later on she could re- recount the story to the disciples and to those who heard. How do you think she felt? How did Mary feel when she heard this message from the, from the shepherds? How do you think she felt when she heard the message from the wise men? We've been following this star in the east and it proclaims that a king has been born in Israel. And yet she knew that she had the angel come to her before and said, there's going to be a son born to you. Nine months ago, this angel appeared. Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to become pregnant with a child. And she's like, how can I become pregnant? I haven't even known a man. How does that happen? He says, don't worry, God's going to take care of it. I'm just going to say, when they see all of a sudden I'm, I'm pregnant and not even married yet, what, what's, gonna, what, what's the community going to talk about? And yet, she treasured all these things in her heart. Because her child was special. Her child is the Son of God. Her child is Emmanuel. Her child is God with us. Her child is the Savior. Her child is the King. Her child is Sovereign Lord. Her child is the Shepherd. Her child is is the Redeemer. Her child is the Servant. Her child will be known as the Man of Sorrows. Her child is wonderful counselor. Her child is everlasting father. Her child is the mighty God. Her child is the prince of peace. So how did exactly then did Jesus bring about peace? If he's called the prince of peace, how does he then bring about peace? At his birth, obviously, at his birth, he brought peace to Mary's heart. He brought peace to, to the shepherds. He brought peace to the wise men and those who were looking. The Bible that I love the phrase, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. Those who are looking for the truth, those who are looking for the Simeon and Anna, they promised that they were going to see the Messiah before they died. And they were looking for the consolation of Israel, looking for this Messiah to come. And when the birth of Jesus, when he was presented before them, these people found the peace. They found the promise of God in this babe. At his very birth. Now, he couldn't affect the outcome. Can a baby affect the outcome of the future? No. But God can. A baby, all by himself, if this, if this babe was just purely, purely human, he'd have no control of the outcome of this future. He had no control over where he was born. He had no control over his family lineage. He had no control over a lot of things, most of the things up till he's an adult. No control at all. And yet all through from where he was born up until the day he died, he was fulfilling prophecy of the Messiah. Jesus spent the 30 years after that growing up, living a normal life, a human disappointment. He worked to learn to family trade. Those who were born in December know you only get one present just 
and sometimes doubles for both holidays, right? Birthday and Christmas, or early January, like the rest of us. You know, we know Jesus was not born on December 25th. That's just when we celebrate. So at his birth, he brought peace to a lot of people. Through his miracles that he performed as he grew up, John chapter 2, I love this, very first miracle he ever performs, he goes to a wedding, and at the wedding, all of a sudden they're running out of wine, they're running out of the, the, what, they're gonna, what they're celebrating with, and his mom comes to him and says, Jesus, you've got to do something. He's like, woman, what do you want me to do? She goes, come on, do something. John chapter 2, he says, On the third day there was a wedding at Canaan Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said, Six stone water jars, therefore the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Everyone who serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, then he brings out the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. The very first miracle that Jesus performs, he goes above and beyond. He's, Jesus, when Jesus does a, a miracle, when he performs, does something good in our lives, he doesn't just do enough. You ever seen those commercials on TV where the doctor comes in and he's like, he's the okay doctor? Or the, I saw one yesterday where the, the guy was, uh, he's, he's a parachute instructor and they're getting ready to jump out of the airplane and the person in front goes, does this ever get, does it, the, the second, third time, does this ever get easier to do? He goes, I don't know, I'll tell you in a minute. I'm okay at this as he's getting ready to jump out the airplane. He steps out and goes, no, it doesn't get easier the second time either. Jesus never did anything just okay. He went above and beyond. He, the miracles he performed, people were healed instantaneously. They were healed completely. When he made water into wine, it didn't become just watery grape juice. It became the best of the best of the best. Well, people would pay hundreds or thousands of dollars for a bottle of wine today. That's what he was making. Because Jesus doesn't do anything second best or third best. He doesn't do it just okay. And at the end, after performing this miracle, his mom was at peace. Okay, the wedding can continue. The bridegroom was now at peace. Okay, the master of the feast was at peace. Okay, we thought we ran out of water. We thought we ran out of wine, but we didn't. He brought peace into that midst. Whenever he performed other miracles throughout, throughout his 33 years, the next three years of his ministry, those he cast demons out of, those he healed of sickness, those he, he made their eyes awake, uh, not awake, open their eyes from blindness, those he raised from the dead. He brought peace. His miracles brought peace. And thirdly, his It says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the fear of the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. That was before he let them know that he believed he was Messiah. Then they turned on him. But he read the scroll. He read the promise. He said, this is the spirit. Of, this is who the Messiah will be. The spirit claim liberty to recover sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed. That is what the Messiah came to do, and that is what he came to do for us as well, to bring peace into our lives, to bring the palm promise of God's joy, of God's salvation. This little babe, this babe that we celebrate, he is the Sar Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. Not just a little babe. He came to bring peace into this world. He came to bring peace to the generations. He came to bring peace into families. To bring healing into families. To allow them to see and to experience the love of God in such a different way. He goes on in John 14, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. As you trust in God, trust also in me. And then he finishes that speech there at the end of John 14. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. As I was studying this week and praying through this passage, a section has jumped out at me in this verse. When he said, my peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Jesus came to bring a different kind of peace into our lives. He came to bring peace to our families and to our lives right now and into the future as well. Yes, he brought peace at his birth. He brought peace through his miracles. He brought peace through the words he spoke to people. But he came to bring promises of peace for us right here, right now, in this 2019 to almost 2020 year. And then also, as we look forward to the future, what kind of peace is he going to bring? Let's take a look at that just for a second. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says this, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's from that time on and forever. We'd agree that there's been battles and fights and wars that our world is not yet experiencing the true peace that God desires to bring to it. A lot of that's because of man's selfishness, because of our desire and our plan and our, our, our willingness to do my will instead of God's will, to do what I want to do instead of what God wants to do, to seek my benefit first instead of the benefit of others first. Remember, he said this, peace I leave you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you. So what kind of peace is he talking about? If he didn't come to bring to us peace that the world says is peace, what kind of peace is he seeking to bring into mankind? 
What did Jesus come to do? He came as a babe, lived 33 years. He died on the cross so that we could now have spiritual peace with God again. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they recognized their nakedness and they're walking around the Garden of Eden, hiding from God. And he says, why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? And because you sinned, now you are separated from God. You are separated from me, from me for the rest of your lives, and you will die, physically and spiritually, unless you come back to me again. And to guarantee that mankind has an opportunity to come back to God permanently, I'm going to send my Messiah. He promised in Genesis chapter 3, he was going to send a Savior. He was going to send that Messiah. He was going to send that individual to come and make a way for us to come back to God. To bring spiritual peace back into our lives. That peace that comes from a sense of having God's presence with us, forgiveness of our sins, and a hope and a purpose for the future. All of us have a purpose. God has a plan for each and every one of us to be involved and engaged in His ministry in this world. It's not just for your pastor. It's not just for the leaders in the church. It's not just for those who are called into vocational ministry. It's for every believer. Everybody who calls on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is to be involved in ministry. It's not just for the one who stands up here teaching. God has called us all to make a difference. To, bring, to help bring that spiritual peace into people's lives. And watch what happens. Watch what happens when, when you introduce somebody to Jesus for the first time and all of a sudden their eyes are awakened and they realize, this is what I've been missing. I've been hearing about this Jesus. I've been maybe saying his name in not so nice a way. I've been living my life by my own rules. But now all of a sudden I'm going to submit myself to, to Jesus and their eyes are awakened and they develop that peace in their, in their souls deep inside because they are no longer at war with God. They're no longer at war with what God wants. They're now Their desire should be to please God and to do what He wants them to do. Not out of a sense of guilt or out of a sense of, I've got to do this or he's gonna, the big bad God's going to come down and crush me with his big stick or his club. I'm now obeying Him out of duty. And that brings peace. So that brings peace right now. He says there in chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. You realize that for 2,000 years, people's lives have been changing, getting changed over and over again, one life at a time. One life at a time. People's lives are changing as they get to experience the love of God in a whole new way. Some estimates say that today there are over 2 billion people in this world who call upon the name of Jesus as, our, as His Lord and Savior. As their Lord and Savior. 2 billion people. That's a ton of people. And that's just today. Not, that's not even counting the billions that have come before uh, the, over the past 2,000 years as their lives have been transformed and changed as they realize what it is that God did for them. It only comes about when people submit enough. It's not about how much of the Bible do I know. 
It's about, am I willing to submit my will to God's will? Am I willing to follow him, even when life is difficult, even when things don't make sense, even when I don't fully understand what it is he's doing? Am I willing to step out in faith and follow him and trust him and believe in him? For over 2,000 years, people have been reading the Old Testament and the New Testament and their lives as, as, as their eyes and their minds are awakened to the truth that's found here in Scripture. They're committing themselves to Christ. They're committing themselves to the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. They're committing themselves to the teachings of God in the Old Testament through the, the prophets and the Psalms and the, those in the Old Testament. People are turning themselves over. You know, the church is now, the church of God, is now the largest organization on earth that's out there. The Bible says that Jesus in government increases one life at a time as individuals submit to him. But it's not just the here and now. It's also going to be in the future as well. See, Jesus, right now, Jesus does not have a physical kingdom he doesn't just have he doesn't have a physical kingdom at the moment but we know by reading through the scripture that one day he will have a physical kingdom one day he will come and sit physically on the throne in jerusalem one day he will come and set up his reign to restore nature and to rule the world physically here in this on this earth and he will become physically king of kings and lord of lords what a day that's going to be what a day that is going to be. And you want to hear what that's going to be like for those who are here when that happens? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 10 says it this way. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. A cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. That is the kingdom of God physically here on this world that we are longing for, looking forward to. I don't know if we're going to be here when that happens, but those who will be living here at that time will have a lifetime of peace. They'll be living in a time that we can't even imagine because our lives right here, right now, we kind of go through the struggles, don't we? we? And yet, Jesus said, even right here, right now, we can experience peace. Right here, right now, we can experience that peace that he came to give if we but submit ourselves to the will of God. If we but submit ourselves to him and say, God, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your leading in my life. Please come in, sir. Come alongside as my mighty, mighty God and help problems. Those things which come along and frustrate me. Come alongside as my everlasting father and embrace me and as a father would to to get me through life and to give me counsel. Come alongside as my prince of peace that I might be able to experience the true peace of God. Jesus is our Sar Shalom. He is our Prince of Peace.